Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. My name is Dewey Doval, and it is my pleasure to be hosting today's show on the subject of expository preaching with one of the most well-known expositors in the world, Dr. Stephen Lawson. Dr. Lawson, welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Uh, Dewey, it's great to be with you again. Yes, sir. Well, Dr. Lawson, it's our joy to have you today. And since you're a first-time guest on the Covenant Podcast, would you be willing to kick off our conversation by telling our listeners a little bit about your life and ministry? Well, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot to say. (laughs) um, I've been a pastor for really almost 40 years and um, I've been an expositor for over 40 years. I've been preaching for 53 years now, and that's really what I do principally. Um, I also am a professor in seminary at the Master's Seminary, and I teach expository preaching, and I oversee our doctoral program there, which is on expository preaching, And I work with Ligonier Ministries as a teaching fellow and produce DVD series for them. And I preach in other conferences. And I preach most Sundays in a church in Dallas, Texas, called Trinity Bible Church of Dallas. And that's, you know, I write books. Uh, I've written 33 books. And um, some of them are on church history. And some of them are commentaries on books in the Bible, and some of them are on certain themes of the Christian life. So maybe just in a nutshell, um, that's what I do. Um, I'm an old guy. I'm 71 years old, so um, I've been around the block a while, and I've um, sat under some of the greatest preaching my two pastors were Adrian Rogers and W.A. Criswell. Um, I was, my professor was R.C. Sproul. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce preached for me on two different occasions for a week each and spent lots of time with him. And John MacArthur, uh, I've preached with him in many, many places, and I teach a class with him at Master's Seminary on expository preaching. So, um, I've had quite an exposure uh, to expository preaching. So maybe that's just a little bit about me. Well, let me just say, you look great for 71 years old. Uh, Our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) Yeah, I look great for a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> Our listeners can't see uh, Dr. Lawson, but he, as normal, he's got the um, the good looking suit on, and uh, he, we are grateful to to hear his uh, take on the topic of today's conversation, which is expository preaching. And um, Dr. Lawson, I'm sure you're aware there's many competing. Uh, perceptions of what expository preaching is. And um, I know a lot of different seminaries take different approaches to teaching expository preaching to their students. So maybe just to get into our subject here, uh, it'd be helpful for our listeners just to get your definition of what you believe best encapsulates expository preaching. Well, expository is a word that I really only use as it relates to preaching. 
uh, it functions as an adjective to describe a certain kind of preaching. And I'm going to agree with John Stott. If it's not expository, it's not Christian. So what we're talking about is not one of many choices we have for preaching. It's the only uh, acceptable uh, form of preaching, I believe, that there is. And expository preaching is just very simply biblical preaching. Um, The word expository, you know, the root word means to expose, uh, to expose the meaning of something. Uh, to expose a subject matter, uh, to unveil it or to uncover it. That's what the word expository means. And so you take a passage of Scripture and you pull back the veil and you expose the meaning of the text and what it requires of the listener. So that's basically what expository preaching is, and it's not expository teaching Um, It's expository preaching, and preaching is is an element of proclamation and heralding and declaring uh, with passion and persuasion. So we're not talking about lecturing. Uh, We're not talking about uh, just standing up there with a monotone voice and going through data and information. Um, expository preaching has as its goal, you, you read a passage of Scripture, you explain or interpret that passage of Scripture, giving its God-intended, authorial intent of the passage, and then you show the relevance of that passage to the listener, how, how they must act upon it, um, how, how they must take... Um, uh, action steps to put it into practice in in their life, and so just in a nutshell, that's expository preaching. I could obviously say a whole lot more. It, it's it's preaching that starts with a text of scripture. It doesn't start with a felt need. It doesn't start with current event. It doesn't start with something that's that you've experienced. It actually starts with God. Uh, it starts with a passage of scripture, and you really have nothing to say as a preacher apart from that text of scripture, and you stay as closely adhered to it as you can, um, opening up its meaning, exposing its meaning, but you also then exhort, uh, which carries the idea of uh, calling the listener to respond um, that very moment uh, to what is being presented. So it comes with a sense of urgency. Uh, there's fervency and intensity. There's an energy level in, in the preacher that rises above kind of a tired mono, uh, monotone. Um, and, and you have an enthusiasm about what you're preaching that is contagious with the listener. So all of that is involved in expository preaching. It's only two words. And and so to emphasize those two, you'd have to kind of work hard to to miss <laughs> what is being called for with those two words. 
Absolutely. And I love how you mentioned the um, the passion, the energy, the persuasion that accompanies expositing a passage of Scripture. Um, for many of our listeners, they know you to be a very dynamic preacher, so it's it's really encouraging to, to see how your definition fits your own style of preaching. And let's talk a little bit about your uh, preaching, uh, how, how that has been a staple of your ministry. How long would you say have you been committed to expository preaching? Is this something that you started out doing uh, right out of seminary, or was this something that kind of came on later in your preaching ministry as you had opportunities to build some of those relationships you mentioned with some of the premier expositors of the past century? Well, Dewey, it, it actually started when I was 18 years old, which is the first time I ever preached. I, I graduated from seminary when I was age 30, but I had already been expositing scripture. And the first time I ever preached, I was 18 years old, and I was in West Texas. And without walking you through all the circumstances, I unexpectedly found myself in a pulpit on Sunday morning uh, looking out at a congregation, thinking that I would only be giving a prayer. But the pastor kind of tricked me as he introduced me and said I would bring the morning sermon after I already told him I did not have a sermon. And so as I stood in the pulpit, and I'd never heard expository preaching in my life, so it's not like I had a pattern to um, model after. The only thing I knew to do as I stood in the pulpit and just had a deer in the headlights look in my eyes was to open the Bible that I had in my hand. And Dewey, it was only a New Testament. And FCA gave it to me, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so it had pictures in it of athletes. And it was a living Bible, which is hardly reaches the level of an accurate translation. And so I'm standing there, and all I knew to do was to turn to a passage of Scripture that had really been... Uh, impacting me. Um, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13. And so I read the passage. And the only thing I knew to do was to try to explain the passage. Um, I mean, it, it never dawned on me that you would talk about a movie that you've seen or that you would talk about your own personal um life or that, you know, you'd quote a poem or, or anything like that. You would just try to give the best explanation of this text. I will never, never leave you nor forsake you, which, which I, I, in a very elementary way did. And then it only seemed the, the right and the natural thing to do would to make would be to make some kind of show of relevance of this to the listener. So I'm out in West Texas, and all I knew to do was to basically say, if you're out in your field working and sitting on a tractor and out in your field, the Lord is with you. And if you're in your barn, the Lord is with you. And when you go into town, the Lord is, I mean, that's all I knew to do. Um, but that was my very first 
sermon to ever preach. And God just kind of threw me into the deep end of the pool. And you start treading water. And and what I did is the, the basics of expository preaching, which is you read the passage, you explain the passage, you apply the passage. That's all it is. And so you asked me for how long have I been doing this? Well, since the very beginning of my preaching, I'm 71. That was when I was 18. So I don't know if I can even do the math on that anymore, but that seems like about 53 years. It feels like a thousand years. Um, and so from the very beginning, and so I started uh, speaking in um, youth ministries. I, in fact, I started youth, youth ministries while I was in college. And I would just stand up in front of, you know, started out, you know, 30, 40, and ends up being 100, becomes, you know, 150 high school kids. But I, all I have is a Bible. And at that point, all I could do was take a story in the Bible and from the life of Christ. Like the, my first was the paralytic being lowered down through the roof. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Just to tell the story verse by verse and try as best as you can to explain what's going on. Put the listener into that scene and then to make the application and begin to just even ask diagnostic questions, have your sins been forgiven? How would you know if your sins have been forgiven? What does it mean to have your sins forgiven? Why do you, why do you need this? Uh, and who can forgive your sin? And so you just begin to ask questions like that, and then you supply the answer. And, and so from the very beginning, Dewey, I was an expositor just by definition. I mean, I, it, it was admittedly embryonic and thin. Um, I didn't have any commentaries. I, I didn't have a study Bible. Um, all I knew to do was, as best I can, put the listener into the scene, into the text, and try to explain it and apply it and then exhort with it. And so I did the same when I was in seminary, and then when I graduated, and seminary was necessary for me, um, because all I could do was kind of just parrot someone else's sermon. Uh, I mean, I eventually got to a point where I could get cassette tapes of preachers and things like that, and, and, and I just became kind of an echo chamber in some ways for what others were saying about a passage, I go to seminary, they actually teach me how to study the Bible and what the Bible teaches, sound doctrine. And so when I graduated, I mean, the first thing I did, I was the college pastor at a large Baptist church. I just took Romans and taught Romans. And it was like a bomb went off, the explosion of spiritual power um, that was unleashed and people are being saved and people are going to seminary and being raised up and, and, and just things are happening. And then I taught the book of Revelation and it blew the roof off the building. And I preached on Wednesday night for the pastor. I taught Hebrews and it, 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 it was extraordinary. And obviously 
I came to see that God put the power in his word, that I just needed to open a Bible and let the message of the Bible out and get it into people's lives as best I could. And obviously the Holy Spirit has to do that. And so, you know, I mean, that's my first year out of seminary. And then I go pastor a, a Bible church. Um, and I mean, all I, my last Sunday at that Bible church, Dewey, I said, take your Bible and turn with me to the table of contents in your Bible. And I just walked them through every book in the Bible that I had preached while I was there for 14 years as their pastor on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night, and at other times. And and that was really the mark of my ministry. So if you ask someone, when did they join the church? They're not going to say 19-whatever or 20-whatever. They're going to say, well, we joined in Matthew. Uh, when did you get married? Oh, that's easy. We got we, we, we were married in Galatians. Um, and, and that people began to identify their life by where they were uh, and where we were in the scripture. So, yeah, I've been an expositor my whole life because I don't know anything else to do. And, and I don't think I'm supposed to do anything else. I don't have the gift of gab. I, I, I can't just be interesting on all these different subjects. I, I, don't, I don't have time, nor do I want to go to every movie and go to every concert and watch every TV program and, and just like have something to say about everything in the world, um, nor talk about myself. Um, I just want to talk about God, and he's made himself known in his word. So you asked a simple question, and I just kind of took us in a wilderness journey there. But um, I've been an expositor from day one before I even knew what expository preaching was. That's the only thing I knew to do. It it just makes sense. You'd, You'd stand there and open a Bible. I mean, why would you not do that? And you would explain the Bible. Why would you not do that? And then apply it and exhort with it. Why would you not do that? So in that sense, expository preaching is just very, very simple. Um, And the only thing I would add to that, Dewey, is as you teach a passage of Scripture and explaining it, you also want to find the theology in it. You want to find the doctrine that's in that passage, and that should really, like a mountain peak, just rise out of that text. And so we want to be theological expositors and always teaching um, systematic theology, if you will, um, as as you're preaching through a passage of Scripture. Every text has theology in it somewhere. Like I mentioned, my first message, uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. All right. That's the doctrine of the omnipresence of God. It's the doctrine of the imminence of God, that God is everywhere present. And he's not just transcendent and high and lifted up, 
but he's also imminent or very close and near to us. And if I had only known enough, then I would teach the doctrine of the simplicity of God, that God is everywhere present in the fullness of all that he is. So there's not more of God in one place than in another. Um, and wherever God is, there is all of God there. And, and so you just teach doctrine as you're in a passage or the paralytic lowering um, or the four friends lowering the paralytic through the ceiling in front of Christ, son, your sins are forgiven. You know, just the doctrine of the remission of sin, uh, the doctrine of expiation of sin for our sins to be laid on Christ. He took them far away. And it came at a price of his own blood. Well, that's the doctrine of redemption and that we've been bought with a price. Um, so as you go through a passage, you're also extracting the theology, the sound doctrine that's in that text and then showing its relevance to the listener. So I need to let you hop back in to this monologue <laughs> And uh, ask me another question. Well, brother, we um, at, the, at the Covenant Podcast, we're known for letting our guests monologue as long as they want to go. And we try to stay out of the way. So um, we, we yeah, really enjoy Probably one of your strengths is just staying out of the way, Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> That's, right. That's a gift. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, I try to make the most out of uh, the few gifts that the Lord's given to me. Uh, yeah. But in any case, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned just um, just there both the um, the model of expository preaching, and, and you talked about the necessity of drawing out the theological truths that are found in a biblical passage. And our listeners, uh, they can't see um, you like I can see you, but behind you, I noticed several prominent theologians from church history. I see Edwards and Luther and Calvin there, and um, I'm sure you've got others hiding uh, uh, behind the screen where I can't quite see, but looks like we got, uh, I can't make out the rest there. Well, that's Tyndale on the bottom, and okay. John Knox on top of him. And Virgin, then, looks like maybe. Virgin. Wow. Yeah, and the other one that you missed over there at the bottom under Luther is uh, John Wycliffe. Wow. So, so really, you've got the... Uh, the, the men that you used for the long line of godly men series right there looking over your shoulder in the study um, yeah. as, as sharing sermons and uh, Bible study material for the men's Bible study and um, all, all the different books that you write. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to see uh, there that, that you are standing in that long line of godly men. And um, I, I just want to, I want to just pause for a second and, and think back to church history for a bit and ask you which of those men, or there might be some more that aren't on your wall behind you, but which of those men um, have influenced you the most as an expositor? And, and if you could recommend maybe two or three or four um, figures from church history that really modeled a robust commitment to expository preaching, who would be the men that you would recommend for, for younger expositors or even those who've, who, who are more seasoned to study? Who would you recommend as worthy imitation and worthy of study from church history? Well, Dewey, you know, the style of exposition has changed from century to century. 
the substance remains the same, but the reformers had a, had almost an embryonic form of exposition. The Puritans, a century later, um, it became highly structured and polished. And then the next century, those in the Great Awakening still had that Puritan structure, but it was doused in gasoline and a match struck and it was set on fire. Then there was the Victorian era in the next century, 19th century, and and it becomes somewhat oratorical and a little, not flowery, but use of uh, figures of speech and turning a phrase. Of course, the Puritans used figures of speech as well. So even in asking the question, there, there's such a difference in, in these men that you do draw something from each one of them. And the linguistic, analytical skills of Calvin, the bold courage of Luther, um, the, the theological genius of Edwards, and, you know, the extraordinary rhetorical skills of Spurgeon that just tower. But then the fiery zeal of Knox. And so it's kind of like, which of my children do I love the most? I mean, I love them all. Maybe they give me reason to like some of them more than others at times. Um, and, and so these men, I mean, who have I learned from? I, you know, if I could be anyone in church history, I'd be George Whitfield, and he's over on my shelf here. Um, you know, Spurgeon is just the giant of all giants in the pulpit. And a different kind of expositor, meaning not going sequentially through books in the Bible, but there is also topical exposition and doctrinal exposition is a legitimate form of exposition. And, you know, Spurgeon, I've learned more from Spurgeon about preaching as far as these men on my wall than than any other of the men. Of course, we have access to more of Spurgeon. I mean, we only have like, Two of Knox's sermons, um, and more than half, or maybe half of Calvin's were um, emptied out of the library back at the beginning of the 19th century and sold to merchants to use the paper for bill of sales. But we do have a lot of Calvin. Um, you know, just to give you a simple answer, I, I'm going to go Spurgeon. I mean, Spurgeon for good reason, is called the Prince of Preachers. And Spurgeon took Whitfield to a higher level. Um, he said, I only had one mentor, and that was Whitfield. So Spurgeon took the example of Whitfield and then, and then polished it and, and enhanced it. So, you know, I, I love Spurgeon, and I, and, and I love Whitfield. So maybe, maybe those two guys. And I love their zeal and their passion. I, I, I don't like dry expositors who stand there with overheads and got handouts. And, and they're just kind of lecturing. Um, I, I want someone who's consumed with God and to stand up and blow a trumpet 
um, and and declare truth. Um, so anyway, I'm giving you a long answer, Dewey. Spurgeon and Whitfield for me. Very good. Well, you certainly can't go wrong with either of those two men. And uh, for our listeners who uh, may not already have the collection on their bookshelves, just want to, again, recommend that you order the um, the books that are contained in the long line of Godly Men series that are published by Reformation Trust. Dr. Lawson has blessed the church with um, some good biographical accounts of some of the um, most faithful uh, and theologically rich men that God's raised up throughout church history. So you'd do well to add that to your library. But Dr. Lawson, you've also mentioned previously in our conversation today that um, you have built relationships and enjoyed relationships with several of the premier expositors of our day. Uh, two minds that are two names rather that come to mind are John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul and I think for some of our listeners um, who who would really enjoy to hear a little bit of the personal side of your relationship with those men, would you be willing to share maybe a story or two of of your time learning, uh, preaching underneath them, and and really just building those relationships with them over the years? What would be some of your favorite memories that you've made with the likes of John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul? Wow. I mean, that's even harder than who's my favorite man hanging on the wall. Um, I have been unusually privileged to spend much, much time with the with both John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. And as far as sharing a story, it, it's hard to even know, you know, is that a public story? Is that a private story? Is it a ministry story? Is it a, you know, a dinner story? Is it a golf story? Um is it a traveling story? Um, so, I, wow. I mean, that's just almost like which drop in the ocean do you, do you really like the most? Um, you know, John MacArthur has been so gracious, so kind, so good to me just by allowing me to be a friend. Um, yes, it's the biggest privilege in the world to preach with him, to preach in his pulpit, um, but really all I really desire is just to be his friend. And if anything else is added to that, like I get to preach with him, that would be over and above and beyond what I would even think. Um, I would just say, you know, while he can be a kind of a pit bull in the pulpit, uh, he's a teddy bear out of the pulpit. Um, I mean, he's just, He's the nicest person in the world to waitresses and waiters and restaurants. He's the nicest person to flight attendants. He's the nicest person to, you know, whoever runs a bookstore. He's the nicest person to the pro in the golf shop. Um, he's just a he's just a gentle, gracious giant um, of a man. And so there's a real authenticity about his walk with the Lord. And, you know, Dewey, for whatever, I, you know, I'm just kind of like frozen to think of one, you know, story because I've, you know, there, there's so many and it's just like, I don't even know which one to, to open the closet door and, 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 you know, let out. Um, you know, one time he asked me, 
if I wanted to go to Scotland with him and play golf. And it was at a time when I had no money, like zero. I had four children, either in college or Christian high school, all at the same time. I mean, I, I didn't have two cents to my name. And, you know, he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, no, you're, you're going to be my guest. And I'm just like, I don't even have a category for this. I mean, you're going to take me to Scotland. And then we went to Northern Ireland and play the greatest golf courses in the world. And I remember we, we, we're in St. Andrews, uh, Scotland. And his son and grandson are with us. So we have a foursome. And he's passing out the room keys. And he hands his son a key and says, you and your son are in one room. So I'm doing the math on this. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, now I'm sharing a bedroom with John MacArthur. And the bedrooms over there are just tiny. I mean, they're so small, we had to put our golf clubs like up on top of a chest of drawers. And and like MacArthur's bed is so close to mine that I remember he had a pain in his knee. And so I reach in into like a pocket. I'm laying in bed. He's laying in bed. I pull it. I guess in a dob kit or something and, and literally just hand him some ibuprofen. Uh, so his bed is, you know, like 12 inches away and I'm like scared to burp or anything, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, just like being with him for a week in this close environment. And it was just like a life memory for me. And we, we went to Edinburgh and he had set up this man who knew Scottish history in Edinburgh, inside out, outside in. And we did a walking tour of Edinburgh. And this man is pointing out, you know, where Robert Murray McShane, his, you know, where he lived when, you know, while he was going to school and John Knox this and. Thomas Chalmers, you know, led the great, you know, revolt here. And and so I'm just walking the streets of Edinburgh with MacArthur. And it's just like, I mean, I'm on a page of church history, not only just for Edinburgh and Scottish history, but with MacArthur, which is another layer of history. And then we go meet Ian Murray. And, you know, I mean, th- th- those times are just so ingrained in me and it it has a way of nailing your feet to the floor what's been invested in you like i i can't go woke you know i mean i i can't just head off in some crazy you know social justice you know direction i've i've had too much put into me i've been to too many places with people like macarthur that I, I just can't now go, you know, you know, junior high church for adults. Um, and then R.C. Sproul, you know, for several years, I mean, I spent more time with R.C. than anybody other than his wife and maybe a point person for Ligonier. Um, I mean, I knew, I actually knew him better than MacArthur or Al Mohler or Ligon Duncan or, Dever or whatever, only in that, I mean, I just spent more time with him. I ate more meals with him. I played more rounds of golf with him. 
And, you know, the thing about R.C., he just loved life. Um, he, he, he loved to laugh. He loved to eat. I mean, he, he just loved golf. Um, I mean, he loved music. I mean, he, he just loved life. And that was good for me. Uh, I think some some of us as Reformed guys, we, we can just almost be a little dour um, and be like, I don't know, like like our clothes are a little too tight or something, you know. Um, and R.C. was just, I, I, I mean, he, he just, I, I don't, I've never known another Christian who just loved life more than he and loved to laugh more than he. And yet we've heard him preach and R.C. with that growly voice could be as, have as much gravitas and weightiness about him as he's talking about the holiness of God and, and the true gospel. And, and so anyway, yeah, those two men have left quite the imprint on me. And I can't think of two other Christians. I would rather have more of an imprint on me. I mean, they've really been the two patriarchs of the body of Christ over the last however many, 50 years. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're great men because they have a great God and um, they've been greatly impacted by, by this great God. Absolutely. And I, I always think of one of my favorite quotes from you that you always say um, regarding expository preaching is that good preaching is more caught than taught. And it is certainly true that uh, you have caught the best of both Sproul and MacArthur in your preaching. And and we're incredibly grateful for that uh, for the church today. But speaking of today's church in America, um, you kind of alluded to it in your previous response, but the vast majority of American evangelicalism uh, demonstrates just an absence of expository preaching, both a, an absence of expositors and an absence of those who even desire to sit under expository preaching. So I know that uh, we don't have all the time in the world to solve all <laughs> because problems. I give long answers to short questions. Well, no, no, I was going to say we don't we don't have enough time to even begin to solve uh, all the problems of American evangelicalism. I mean, you may you may have all the answers. I certainly don't. Well, but, uh, yeah, one called qu- up all here, so I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. My question, Dr. Lawson, would be this, you know, given the famine in the land regarding expository preaching in America and, and the famine of those who even desire to sit under such preaching, how do we get a revival? How do, how do we how do we bring expository preaching to the forefront of church life in our country, especially in these days? Well, well, obviously, it's going to have to be preceded by much prayer because, I mean, we're not going to be able to force a round peg into a square hole. Um, it, God's going to have to do it, and God's going to have to open the door. Um, it, it's probably going to require a new generation of young men. The Reformation was essentially started as a college movement. Um, it's going to require young men in their 20s and 30s 
to be sold out to preaching the Bible with high theology in it and with passionate appeals to the listener. Um, I think in America, the church is, I mean, just on life support by and large, uh, almost DOA, dead on arrival. I know the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and there will always be a remnant. But denominations are just unraveling before our eyes. And I, I think in some ways, even the judgment of God is upon the evangelical church uh, for its shallowness, for its lack of profundity and depth, for its lack of the fear of God. Um, it's going to require men getting into the pulpit and actually preaching the Bible as we've been talking about. I think we're in the situation that we're in, even, even outside of the church, just America in general, because 80 and 70 years ago, we just forsook preaching the Bible. And so we are now reaping to the, what we've sown to the whirlwind. And people are just, you know, going into places and start shooting people and this and that and this and that. There's no fear of God. And so until the fear of God returns, which quickens the conscience, um, even with unbelievers, um, we're not going to be able to fix this problem with political solutions. It'll only be resolved with a spiritual solution. But as it relates to the church, I mean, the fear, let judgment begin in the household of God, First Peter 4. And so there's going to have to be a thorough house cleaning uh, in the church. And I actually think we need fewer preachers and maybe even fewer churches we just need better preachers and better churches. And there have been so many church splits and this and that and this and that that I think we have more churches than we really have God-called preachers. And so we have men in pulpits today that have never been called by God, never been gifted by God, and don't hardly know God. And and I, I think like four churches need to rejoin and be merged into one, and you put the best preacher you've got into that one pulpit. I mean, we got four mediocre pulp preachers. We need one true expositor uh, to stand in that pulpit and for four congregations to merge back together. So with every new church that doesn't really have a God-called preacher, I, I think we've just diluted the water. I mean, we, we've just diluted the the the... the the potency of the drink um, to be such that we're very watered down. It's, it's really almost become amateur hour um, in, in many pulpits and everyone in America. And we're just into numbers and success stories and getting ahead and, and whatnot. And it, it probably is going to require God shrinking the church um, before the church could truly grow as it is. I mean, it's kind of like the old thing. You can't get to the end zone for your own teammates being in the way. And it's like, you know, we've, we've got a lot of stuff in our way that's in churches that really, I think, prevent us from being what we need to be. And, and, and then young guys just copy other guys 
and and they have the wrong role models. Um, so I, you know, I remember Al Mohler asked me to preach for him in chapel at the seminary where he's the president, and um, he wanted me to preach on heroes. And I said, "Well, I don't quite understand." He said, "My students have the wrong heroes. They listen to the wrong podcasts. They they listen to the wrong sermons." And I, I want you to talk about having the the right role models um, to set before you. So I, you know, I just think we've kind of devolved down to almost just pastors mimicking and imitating people that maybe are in larger churches, but sometimes the larger the church, the worse it is. Um, that's not always the case, but many, if not, I dare say most, but many, um, you know, you, you, you've got to get people into the building. You've got to pay off the bank note. Um, you've, 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 you know, the pie chart's got to be always increasing. And so there's certain ways that we get people in the building that, you know, they, they try to justify the means by the end. And it's just, drifted far away from from the book of Acts. It's just drifted far away from the pastoral epistles. So, you know, Dewey, that's a long answer, and it, it's probably above my pay grade to even try to answer your question. Well, it's certainly above my pay grade, uh, and they're not paying me anything at the uh, that Covenant podcast. So uh, yeah. I'm glad that I could at least turn to you, Dr. Lawson, for some yeah, insight. Yeah, yeah. You're getting what you what you've truly deserved and earned. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right, sir. Well, uh, we've been talking with Dr. Stephen Lawson today on the subject of expository preaching. And Dr. Lawson, before we draw today's conversation to a conclusion, do you have any final words of encouragement or advice <laughs> for current expositors or for those who may feel called to preach? Uh, what would be your counsel or advice to such men? Well, if you feel called to preach, you need to go sit under the best expositor you can find to sit under because great preaching is more caught than it is taught. And you need to get in the game and you need to start preaching, doing something to serve the Lord where you're standing with the Bible in front of people. And so I would, you know, urge any young man, you need to sit under great preaching and you need to start preaching, even if it's a retirement home, a college campus inviting businessmen to meet you for a breakfast, Bible study. I mean, just whatever. You've got to get in the game and be using whatever, what you perceive to be a gift to, to minister the Word of God. So, that, you know, that would be my, my counsel to you. And also to get the best theological education you can. Uh, you need to be taught. You need to be trained and, uh, and a lot of guys don't know that they don't know, which is kind of a dangerous place to be. And you don't know what you don't know until you begin to know what you need to know. And as you begin to be exposed to uh, the full counsel of God and the truths of the Bible, you begin to realize how little I really know. And so I would just urge young men to pursue a theological education, um, a, a robust, thorough theological education as, as soon as you can.
So that, that's what I would say, Dewey. Well, it's been an absolute joy to discuss the subject of expository preaching on today's episode with Dr. Stephen Lawson. To our listeners, we just want to encourage you to follow Dr. Lawson on Twitter or uh, keep up with his ministry endeavors through his work at onepassionministries.org. Dr. Lawson currently does a Bible study in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's called the Bible study. It used to be called the men's Bible study. I had the privilege of attending that for a couple of years when I was up in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So if you need a solid, steady um, uh, exposure, if you will, to sound Bible teaching, join the uh, Bible study that Dr. Lawson does um, through onepassionministries.org. And um, to our listeners, we want to thank you again for your time and uh, support of the Covenant Podcast, and we wish you grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.